calling all married couples. Running a successful business takes a lot of effort and can steal precious time away from your spouse. How do you protect your marriage from the stress of business? Get Tandem, the Married Entrepreneur's Guide for Greater Work-Life Balance. Go to thetandembook.com and pick up your copy today. Welcome to the Boost Podcast with Kelly Leonard, the podcast providing you with immediate access to tools, tips, and tactics to boost your business and career success. Build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and tap into new markets. It's the Boost Podcast. And now, here's Kelly Leonard. Hello and welcome back to the Boost Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Leonard. Rob Krejcik is a thrill seeker, business builder, keynote speaker, and connector who aims to help humanity understand how technology impacts mental health, relationships, and productivity at work through a consultancy he calls Humans First. They're an organization on a mission to positively impact the lives of one billion people. The parts of Boost we chat about are build your brand and optimize relationships. Hey, Rob, welcome to the Boost podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I really appreciate you um, being available and appreciate and grateful for the opportunity. Excellent, excellent. And so for folks who are hearing your name for the first time, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a a thrill seeker, entrepreneur, nerd, um, athlete, kind of all in one, I guess. I don't know. I, um, you know, started my career in finance. I was a sell-side equity analyst covering medical device and pharmaceutical companies, but felt like I, you know, wasn't helping people enough in that career. And so I changed to um, own some Anytime Fitness Health Clubs. So I was an owner of three of those clubs in three different states. I also owned four You Break I Fix cell phone repair stores, all in the Milwaukee area. And then I had a technology startup and I sold all those companies. And my current company is a consultancy called Humans First. And our mission is to help humanity understand how technology impacts mental health, relationships, and productivity at work. Wow. I love everything about what you just said. It's so funny that when you first said that you're a nerd and an athlete. It's it's not every day you hear both of those in the same in the same sentence because most athletes will, you know, they're like, I'm not a nerd. And most nerds are like, I'm not an athlete. That was my uh <laughs> who was that? Wait, I'm trying to remember who that did I say that? Oh, but, Steve Urkel. Yeah, exactly. Steve Urkel. <laughs> did I do that? <laughs> yeah, that was like me in high school. <laughs> awesome. Me. And then it's great also. I love your background in terms of just like that whole franchising because two of the opportunities that you named are franchises right isn't you break correct okay excellent and yeah so, you break i fix and anytime fitness are both franchises yep yeah so i'm just curious like what even um got you into like get got you interested in the world of franchising and then what then propelled you into this new world that you're in with humans first yeah well i i always love health and fitness and i've been working out for 25 years I'm a, you know, I have a bunch of personal training certifications and uh, I, I, but I, you know, was working at my day job and I knew, Hey, like I've never, and I said to myself, like, Hey, I've never owned a business. I've never managed people. I don't know how to start a business. You know, maybe I should talk to a franchisor because they know how to run a business. And so I, you know, got involved with Anytime Fitness and it was really a, a fantastic decision for me. And I'm really 
grateful for ha- having been a part of that for, I think it was about eight years. And um, you know, it was a really great way for me to learn entrepreneurship from some very skilled people who I really respect. Excellent. And then the shift into um, just the work that you're doing with humans first, like what drove drove that pivot? Yeah. So, um, you know, I can tell a quick story. One t- one day I was at one of my cell phone repair stores in Brookfield, Wisconsin, and this middle-aged woman came in with her son and her son was maybe 15 years old. And so she's physically shoving her son up to the front counter And I thought to myself, well, that's kind of weird. And then when the son got to the front counter with the mom, I felt terrible for him because he could barely stammer out a sentence. He couldn't look me in the eye. He had very poor body posture. Mm. And, you know, the the mom said, hey, Tyler, you need to tell this this man what you did to your phone because he had broken his cell phone. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I did my best to help him out. Everything went well with the transaction. But then I started paying attention and I realized that uh, same the same version of this scenario just kept happening over and over and over at my store. And then I had this aha moment. I thought to myself, well, these kids are coming in here and they're heavy users of technology. That's why they need to get their phone fixed right away when they break it. Mm. Well, maybe it's because of how much they use technology that that's why they don't have these social skills and other skills. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. And so over the last four years, I've read over uh, 100 books and 2,000 articles and studies to really understand how humanity is interacting with technology. Mm, wow. Okay. So that gets us into this <laughs> this conversation, which you know, I'm so excited to have with you because um, you brought up a statement or a phrase that I'm not familiar with, and that's technology mindfulness. And so I'm curious to know what exactly does technology mindfulness mean? Yeah. So I define technology mindfulness as being aware of the ways that technology impacts your life and then educating yourself about those ways so that you might live your life in a better way um, by you know, improving your mental health relationships and productivity at work through better technology use. And, you know, that's I, I define kind of all the things that I talk about as technology mindfulness because you know, the average person in America spends 12 hours and 21 minutes a day in front of screens and media. Mm. And that's a statistic from before COVID. So, you know, think about it. We're literally spending three quarters of our waking lives seven days a week in front of screens and media. And what that means is that this, our technology use is fortunately and unfortunately impacting virtually every part of our life. And so to me, it makes sense to, to you know, to start to educate yourself on the, on how, that impact can can you know change your life, um, and a lot of people just aren't even thinking about this. You know, they're, they're doing this thing for three quarters of their life, but they have they have no thought process of like, oh, like this could be impacting my life in this way. And so, my goal with Humans First is to help educate people and bring awareness to those things. Wow! And so, when we think about technology mindfulness. In your estimation, how do we practice it? <laughs> and I'm laughing because I, I think oh, one way that I'm being mindful of my technology uses every Sunday, I get that pleasant message from my iPhone that's like, your technology use is up 12% this week. And I'm like, <laughs> darn you, I rebuke that message. <laughs> like, I will not claim that I have been using my tech because it feels like I've been using it less. So hush you, iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, Kelly, you're not alone, right? I mean, I work with, I work with individuals, teams, and full companies, you know, and, uh, it is un. It's 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 sort of like when people guess their weight. You know, like if someone hasn't stepped on the scale in like a year or two, they're always like, 
they're always guessing at least five or 10 pounds underneath where they really are. It's exactly the same thing with screen time. So, you know, that's almost a universal thing, right? Mm -hmm. That that we kind of underestimate or we think we're using our phone less than we are. But that's really, that's one of the things that I help people with is, you know, there's a lot of people where, you know, they're using screens and like, for instance, I had a client, she was texting, just text alone, not anything else in her phone texting between 15 and 20 hours a week. It was literally a part-time job, a half-time job for her, you know, and it's like, oh my God, if I told you you're spending 20 hours a week texting, like, does that, you know, when you say it like that, it it just sinks in differently. It's Mm -hmm. like, I'm think about you're spending two and a half work days texting. Mm. That's a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. So then how do, how do we practice technology mindfulness? Yeah. So um, I mean, there's many ways, right? I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that I have the, the, the correct way, whatever that means, but I've, you know, what I've done over the last four years is many, many hundreds of experiments on myself because I have ADHD and I'm very prone to being distracted and losing focus. Mm-hmm. And so I've experimented on myself over the last four years with all the hundreds of different ways to use technology in a way that serves my life well. And, um, you know, I guess the way what here's what I would say is it's much easier to structure your technology use in a way that is conducive to how you want to live your life instead of relying on willpower, mm. because willpower is a very finite resource. And the more you rely on it, eventually, the the more it's going to fail you because there only is so much willpower in a day that you have. And so a lot of the strategies that I describe to people rely on structuring your use in a way that is conducive to what you want for your life. I can give you a really simple example. Okay. So on the iPhone, in, if you go in settings, there's a setting called raise to wake. And if you just search for it, you can find it um, in the settings menu. And by default on the iPhone, it's almost always enabled. Mm-hmm. And when it's enabled, what happens is when you physically move your phone, it turns on the display. Mm-hmm. And so when you disable raise to wake, what it does is not only does it disable your display and doesn't make it light up when you turn, when you move your phone, which a saves battery life, but B, it makes it way less likely that you're going to get sucked into your phone because you don't, your display doesn't just turn on automatically because what happens when your display turns on, you look at it because it's just a natural response. Right. And then when we look at it and we're like, Oh, well, who's texting me? What's going on here? Right. And so just from that one setting, when I disabled that on my iPhone, it saved me almost two hours of screen time a week. Which wow. like, that's a lot for yeah, something that you can do in 10 seconds. You mm-hmm. can literally change it in 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. So the goal is in practicing mindfulness is to just make it more difficult for you to then use the device. I mean, I wouldn't say more difficult, but I'm just, again, mindful of how I'm using it, right? Like I'm, I'm very intentional and deliberate with my technology okay. use. I'm not just sitting there scrolling or, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I, I'm just very intentional and deliberate. Like that's, I guess, the best way I would describe it. Much like if, you know, I'm not, I'm not religious, but if you're religious, like you, you might pray and have like a, you know, an intention when you're praying, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's no different than that. It's just with your technology use. Gotcha. Okay. No, that makes complete sense. And so when you think about um, just the way that we are using technology day to day, are there particular things that are concerning to you, especially because I know you did lift up, you know, a stat that was a pre-COVID stat that was pretty darn alarming considering how much more we're probably using technology post-COVID. 
But are there things that are concerning to you? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things from a work perspective is this, you know, the average white collar worker sends and receives 126 emails per day. And so if you think about that, if you take two, just two minutes per email, that means that literally almost exactly half of your day is spent on email. And there's a bunch of other studies that corroborate this statistic. So basically, most people wake up and th- their main job function is to check email, but no one actually wakes up and says that like, oh, I want to check a bunch of email today. Like that's what I'm looking forward to doing. Yet that's essentially where the world is right now. Mm-hmm. And so one of the very simple things that people can do is, you know, to dream and here, here's what the research shows is that the more time you spend in your email, the more stressed out you are, the le- and the worse your health is and the worse your performance at your job. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're spending half a half of our work days in this activity that reduces our job performance. That's obviously not only going to affect you personally because it stresses you out more, but it also affects the company because the company is probably not as profitable or successful. And so not only if you reduce email, does it help the company? It also helps you personally a ton. Mm-hmm. So, but how practically speaking, because... Oftentimes, like we can control the amount of email that we perhaps send, but maybe mm-hmm. not what we receive. So how practically yeah. speaking, do we uh, how do we address what you just even shared? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I get that one very often. And here's the really the root cause of it. The vast majority of companies that I talk to do not have written standards of communication or written communication guidelines. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't have those standards written out, what that does is that forces all employees to guess how and when and how much to communicate. Well, when you're just constantly guessing all the time how and when and how much to communicate, it does two things. The first one is it dramatically increases stress Mm -hmm. because people are just forced to guess, which is uncertainty, which creates stress. But the other thing is it duplicates time and effort, which wastes a massive amount of time. And so one of the very first things that I help companies do is establish these standards of communication that are written and disseminated to the employees. And once, and and so once they um, have those written standards, then they are free to check their email way less, sometimes even one time a day. And that's a stark contrast in comparison to how much the average worker currently checks their email, which is every six minutes Mm. during the workday. Every six minutes. Wow. And I believe it. And, you know, and then and we're only talking about email, not to mention, like, I know for us, we use Teams. And so it's like you've got your exactly. It just does not stop. And so it's even to your point, though, that it's not often clear inside of an organization when it's more appropriate to send something via email versus a Teams chat. And then it's like the endless number of Teams chats and then the confusion emojis. And then it all ends up with, you know what? Maybe we should just get on a call 20 minutes after you've gone back and forth on Teams, like trying to figure out what a person is trying to ask you on, you know, for support with. Yes. Yes. And and again, like you, you, you know, Kelly, you're not alone. The, I'm telling you, the vast majority of con- companies these days are experiencing this and they just don't even realize that it's happening. They don't realize that the average, you know, worker, again, they're spending four hours a day on email. They're spending about two or more hours on meetings. So then that leaves them two hours left to do their job. Like most people can't do their job in two hours, right? That's not realistic. And so, 
then what happens? Well, people stress out, they rush, they do poor quality work because they're like, I have to get this done in a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not very tenable for anyone, the company or the worker. And so I'm, I'm here to try to help people understand, like, we need to like rethink how we're doing our jobs and rethink how we're structuring our days. Cause this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let me ask you, a con- I'm going to ask you a controversial question. Oh, I love those. And it sure. has to do with email because okay. there's some people who are like, Oh, I batch read my emails versus others are like, I just, when it comes in, I'm reading it. So are you yeah. a, no, you should only check your email at the top and tail of your day or in batches or what is your opinion on that very controversial topic? Well, I, <laughs> I'm just laughing because I've probably taken this to an extreme and maybe in some aspects it's not really that good, but I actually just hate answering email in general. And so like, I sort of play this game where it's like, how little, how few times or how little time can I spend in my email every week and still function as a normal person? Mm-hmm. And um, I've gone as far as completely deleting email entirely off my phone. Like, I don't even have a, an, a mail app on my phone at all, and I haven't for years. And I also generally check my email once or twice a day for my desktop. Sometimes maybe I don't check it in a, in a day. And it like, you know, and maybe that's not the best practice, but I truly believe that batching emails dramatically cuts down on the amount of emails you receive or mm-hmm. send, which also then ultimately cuts down on the amount of emails you receive. Mm-hmm. It is it is a very like chicken and egg thing. And, you know, I know that a lot of people think to themselves, well, like, I'm going to, you know, they have FOMO, right? I'm going to miss something yeah. important. Mm-hmm. And what I can tell you is, you know, in the last several years of me checking my email once a day at best, you don't miss anything. You really don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I haven't ever had a negative repercussion from checking my email that frequently. Like once <laughs> in a while something happens, but you know what? You just like apologize and say whatever and, you know, and and you move on. Right. And it's, and it's not the end of the world. Mm, okay. All righty. I hear you. <laughs> you so, don't seem convinced. <laughs> you don't seem convinced. I'm not, you know, I'm one of those people who prides themselves in having like, because it drives me crazy when I go into my inbox and I see all those unread messages. Yeah. Do you mind if we talk about why that might drive you crazy? Okay, go for it. Yeah. Well, I love like explaining the psychology behind this stuff. So the, the email is one of the most addictive technologies for three different reasons. The first one is it uses intermittent variable rewards. It's the same principle that, for instance, when you pull a slot machine lever and all the, you know, the, the, the wheel spin, mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't, when in your email, it's the same thing. You don't know when you check your email, you don't know who sent you a message, what's in it, when they sent it or, or, you know, who it's from. And so it's like very addicting from that standpoint. But the second thing is, there's it involves social reciprocity. So for instance, if I email you, even if you hate my guts, mm-hmm. you know that I'm a human reaching out to you and I need something, mm-hmm. you're going to email me back. We're hardwired for this social reciprocity. But the third thing, which is most important and hardest to counteract is that email makes us feel important and needed and wanted. It's, a, you know, it feels, it feel, you know, fills our need to be a human, like to be, want to be wanted. And so like when you combine all three of those things, mm-hmm. it's, they're very hardwired things that are very hard to escape and very hard to resist. And that's why we, we constantly want to check our email. Yeah. You know, I've even gotten to the point 
and don't don't judge me and don't laugh at me. But when I get because I get so many like solicitations in email, I'm that person that will write back and in the subject line unsubscribe opt out like to everyone where's the average normal person would just go through and delete 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 and just be like i'll just take my chances on the person i'll delete it i'll never reply and maybe they won't send me another message but i will and then i'll even some of them i reply back and i delete their subject line and then i'll say unsubscribe comma please smiley face in the subject line I like that. I think that's a good practice actually. I like that. <laughs> but I think it speaks to like your point previously around the fact that there's a human well, I would like to think there's a human behind every email. And mm-hmm. so I always try to also envision myself where it's like, oh well, if I send someone an email, I would love for them to at least if you're not interested, just let me know that you're not interested. Like I'm cool right. with that. And so I think it's that a part of me is just wired to behave in a way that I want to receive. Uh, like that I want mm. someone to treat me in the same way. But yeah. I do every, like if you were to look at my work email uh, right now, like you're going to see everything's been read. Everything's been taken. Like I have like this zero inbox type of way that I operate. And I probably, I know I'm not going to say I probably know. I know it's probably, it's not the most efficient way of doing it, but it sure does make me feel good at night. <laughs> When I lay down, <laughs> when I put my head on that pillow, I'm like, you know what? I've got nothing in my inbox. I am good to go. Versus yeah. I look at my husband's inbox. Oh, my God. It's like thousands of unread messages. And I'm like, how are my you wife. able to like cope right now? I don't get it. But, you know, different strokes for different folks. I'm not judging. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. Well, what you know, what's interesting, what you're describing is, the psychology of why email is stressful. So when you, you know, look at your email, let's say it's Monday morning and you haven't checked your email all weekend and you look at your inbox and there's 150, 100 messages. Mm -hmm. What happens is, you know, let's say it's 9am and you have a 10am meeting, right? So you only have like an hour. Well, you say to yourself, Oh my God, there's 150 unread emails. There's no way I'm going to get through these in the next hour. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes overwhelming when humans are overwhelmed. We uh, experience that as a loss of control and anything that's a loss of control we perceive as a threat. Mm -hmm. And so when you check, when you check your email and you have 150 unread emails and you feel overwhelmed, it actually activates your fight or flight system, your sympathetic nervous system that amps you up to get you out of a threatening situation. And that happens all day throughout the day as you're checking your email. Mm -hmm. And so, and, but humans aren't designed to have our fight or flight system activated all the time. And so that is dramatically increasing that your sense of stress and anxiety, even though you don't realize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. Okay. So while we're on the topic of threats, tell me a little bit about your opinion on social media, particularly, you know, I'm one of those, like, I, I think I'm, I'm, I left Facebook not too long ago because I was like, Oh, the stress. And I'm mm. on the cusp of like cutting the, t- cutting the cord from Twitter. Cause I'm just like, I can't, the amount of negativity and just, Oh, right. I'm just like, I just can't anymore. So what's your yeah. opinion of social media? Well, if you think about the business model for, especially for Facebook and Instagram, the business model is this, um, you don't have to pay right for Facebook and Instagram. They're free, but right. you know, the company has to make money somehow. Mm-hmm. And so what you're paying with is your time and attention. Mm. You are the product mm-hmm. on Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so 
when you think about, and so Facebook's business model is this, they want you to spend as much time and attention as humanly possible on Facebook and Instagram so that the advertisers can sell you more ads so that Facebook makes more money. Mm -hmm. And so you are being manipulated into spending as much time as possible on those platforms. And how does that happen? Well, humans have a negativity bias. We pay attention to negative information because it keeps us alive as a survival mechanism. So what happens is uh, on Facebook and Instagram, especially, you are shown highly negative information because that gets more eyeballs, which keeps you on the platform longer, mm-hmm. which makes Facebook more money. Mm-hmm. And so you, your psychology is essentially being exploited by Facebook in order for them to make more money, and it's degrading your mental health. Yeah. And so my personal suggestion or what I've done for myself is I um I haven't deleted my accounts yet although I'm really strongly considering it. Mm-hmm. But what I'm have done instead is I only access them from uh, I've so I've deleted them for sure completely from my phone yeah. and I only access them from a laptop or a computer mm-hmm. so that I can be much very deliberate and intentional about my use. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And yeah, I'm 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 there with you. That's my next that's my weaning off is to delete the Twitter app from my phone, but it's taken it's taken some time. It's taken a little it. time. I so, get it. So Rob, I know we're we're at the end of our time together, but this has been awesome. If folks are listening in and they just want to tap into your genius, what's the best way for people to circle back to you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, they can check out my website. It's uh, humansfirst.us. And then one other thing, Kelly, that I wanted to offer your listeners is a free 30-minute technology mindfulness consultation call with me. All people need to do to redeem that is just email me. My email address is rob, R-O-B, at humansfirst.us. And then just mention this podcast in the subject line, and I'm happy to set up a free 30-minute Zoom call with you to chat with you about your technology mindfulness. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you for what you do. We absolutely need that in our lives. And so I'm so appreciative of just your contributions to improving the human experience. Yeah, thank you. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to chat with you, Kelly. Thank you so much. Well, that concludes this episode of The Boost Podcast. Thank you again for listening in. If you don't mind, if you could like, subscribe, or share the podcast with a friend, I would greatly appreciate it. For more information on anything Boost-related, you can visit our website at www.kellytleonard.com. 